Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there, and welcome to the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kellen Olson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. What's up? Lots of late basketball. We can avoid cats talk this episode. I think I'm going to talk about it too much on the air. I already talked about it. My entire Wolf and Luke segment was about college basketball just now. I think they oh, were no. planning to ask me about the Suns, and it just turned into... Because <laughs> Luke was like, I don't know what happened. And then I talked about what we've been talking about all year, which is what happened. And Princeton being able to drive on teams and Arizona not being able to? I've... We'll tie it to the Suns here. I've watched a couple games in the last few nights where they're just not doing the right math, not taking enough threes, not to get get into the foul line enough. You knew those nerds were going to be doing the math, right? I'll tell you that much, and they did. Shout out to them. Great win for them. They look like a legit team. Like I actually think they could... I don't know anything about Mizzou, but Princeton could look nah, like a physically. Nah, nah they're going to get Princeton killed. Princeton could. Nah, they're going to get killed. You think? Yep. We'll see. We'll see. I will I will hold that prediction myself. Uh, so since the last time we talked, we podcasted during the uh, Kevin Durant injury when we knew the extent of it, I believe is when we podcasted exactly. So with all of that in mind, yeah, we, we podcasted the day before the Sacramento game. So we've had four games, but five total, really, of how this team looks without Kevin Durant. Again, we got three looks at him all on the road. But more so, I think we can focus on the four games because OKC, they found out like a half an hour before the game, so they weren't re- really able to like plan and adjust. They had two days off after that. Lost to Sacramento, lost to Golden State, lost to Milwaukee, beat Orlando, last night i have some theories uh myself but what have been your thoughts on the last four games concern meter of slipping in the standings where are you at because it's uh i thought it was kind of a foregone conclusion they were going to hang around i think that was our sentiment in the last episode has it changed for you at all a bit i mean they just don't have enough firepower around book and I don't know how much more discussion it needs on that. I mean, it's like, how are, how is this team going to manufacture more? And I just don't think there's an obvious answer on this team, on this roster. I think it really is. I, I wouldn't say hanging by a thread or anything like that. Like, look, they're in the top half right now. They'll be fine even if they slip down to not hosting in game one of the first round. But, yeah, I mean... To me, it's not the greatest worry, right? We talked about Kevin Durant coming back. Like, if he's healthy in the playoffs, that's what you want. And that's still on track. He got some shot ups right before shoot around Thursday, before the Magic game. Um, you got a little video of that. That's a good sign. He at least can do a little jumping on that leg. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think right now, I guess, what do you think? they need in terms of like where are they going to go searching for stuff is it da more involved i think chris maybe does not look exactly like he's ready to and again we've been just saying this all season just kind of take control and take on more 
Like, I don't think that's the answer. I think DA might be it. And then from there, it's, I don't know. I don't think we've said it with certainty and like lathered it in concrete, right? But I think we're at the point now where expecting the way we talked about the second guy before the KD trade, some nights it'll be Mikel, some nights it'll be Chris, some nights it'll be on DeAndre. Like we we had taken Chris down up pep basically a step, a peg. Now we're at the point now where you cannot rely every single night for it to be DeAndre or Chris. I think we're just there now. A lot of that, not a lot, a good amount of it has to do with how they're being guarded. It's something I really focused on after the Milwaukee game. I've noticed, especially Dallas and just other teams, it's a really deep drop from the big now. Wendell Carter was doing it a lot last night, too, for Orlando, where DeAndre is allowed to have the space from 20 feet to 8 feet, basically. If he wants to take the floater, if he wants to take the jump shot, if he wants to try and dribble into it and finish at the rim, great. They're fine with that. And even if DeAndre was dribbling more, if you just think about it and how he's dribbling and trying to finish at the rim against a set seven-footer waiting for him at the rim, it's not really going to yield a high-percentage shot because DeAndre is not someone who has figured out the ability to draw contact there and draw a foul because that's the upside of that kind of situation, right? You drive in there, you draw contact, you get a foul. Ideally, you finish over them, but we, we know when DeAndre gets a couple of steps, he launches off of two feet, he can really elevate. But if it's something where he's more in a motion uh, that's not like a straight line drive getting his feet gathered. It's more of like a line drive finish at the rim or whatever. He can't elevate as, as highly. Like there was the dunk that he had the other night that got blocked. And like that's kind of an example, right? Like he went up and finished strong. Like everyone wanted him to there and, and it got blocked. Like yeah. it's just because the elevation sometimes isn't really there for him. The other part of that is that that deep drop is coming against Chris Paul, which used to be automatic for him in his sleep now for whatever reason he's not able to get to his shot as much it's a mix of him not being aggressive enough it's a mix of him not getting to his spot as quickly as he used to there's a couple of different equations there not launching as much like off his feet because I think the I think we briefly talked about this when the trade happened Chris uses his legs so much when he takes jump shots that when that trade happened and we were talking about seeing him play in his late 30s, that was something that I brought up, I think I remember, of just how when his legs start to go like it will for anyone else once they reach a certain age, his jumper could be in trouble just because of how much he relies on that. And I'm not saying that's what's happening right now, to be clear, but there's a mix of something exactly going on there. And the stat that I had in the recap last night, he was pretty good last night, I thought. I thought that actually in terms of his movements and his handle, he started to look like himself a little bit more. He was 7 of 11 for 17 points. He did the Chris Paul thing late to this... Like two minutes to go, yeah. ...ability. He had back-to-back mid-range jumpers like we're sort of used to seeing. But this is down 19 straight games where he's failed to reach 20 points. And the previous longest run of his career was 15 games in, in a single season. So not counting this season and last season combined, anything like that, right? He had a run of 15 games last year. But this is only the seventh time in his career that that streak has reached double digits. So every now and then he was going to give you the 27-31. And we've seen that now over three years. We've seen him reach that ability as a scorer. And if he just can't get there with consistency. So we're talking about 19 games. And then we're talking about a seven-game series. 
Yeah. If if I were looking at you before I dropped all these statistics on you and I was like, how many times can Chris give you 20-plus in a seven-game series? You would have said two, maybe three games, right? You would yeah. have said maybe that. But now it's like, can can you get it in two? Can, can you get, get it in three one. games? Can you get one? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Against a playoff defense, against a really great defense, I don't know. So that's that's the first half of my answer on that is that I just think – I think it's good for, like, last night was a good example, like the final two minutes. But I don't think he wants to even – he wasn't even trying, I guess, to do that before then. Well, and then the other part of it was D.A. overpassed on that yeah. space again. He had that space again, and part of what I included in the recap was that I just think he's not really feeling out the vibe of it as much. And before I get done on this point, a long one, they have been the two guys who have had to adjust the most of anyone on the team. Yeah, Chris was already coming into the year playing a brand new role, and now it's like okay, book and everyone is hurt. Mikel, not Mikel is out, but like Cam's out, books out, Cam's out, Cam John or campaign and Cam Johnson are out. We need you to be like the number one scorer tonight. And then Kevin gets here. It's like you're the fourth scorer now. You might take seven shots a game, and you're going to take way more catch and shoot looks. You're playing off the ball a ton. He's had to adjust his role a ton this year. And then DeAndre, man, just when it's like everyone nationally is saying the one guy that's going to benefit from this move is DeAndre and he's going to get the best looks he's gotten of his whole career he gets three games of that where he barely touches the ball anyway and then once he's in a position to touch the ball again the the rim is just like completely clogged up and I don't say this as a way to um criticize DeAndre specifically it's just what happened last night when Jock came in in the second half the driving lanes were there and then they were gone again when, when DeAndre came in. It's just because of the way teams are defending him, and it's a new challenge for the Suns to try and figure out how to do that. And where it gets harder is when Torrey Craig and Josh Okogie are the two other guys out there who are shooters that are decent, fine shooters, but teams are willing to leave them. And Okogie, I think, took the second most shots on the team last, uh, team last night. He attempted 10 threes last night. Yeah. It's a Lou Dort thing again. I just <laughs> keep coming back to it. Yeah, I think the Milwaukee game was a really strong example of the deep drop, and like it took like literal like force feeding of Aiton to get him to even start shooting like mid range jumpers, and like I do think he has the ability to like be kind of efficient, like fifteen outside of fifteen feet, and that's how that kind of showed up where he started hitting them and looked confident once he got a couple misses in him. But, yeah, it's like it's more the 10 or 8 to 15 feet where it's like you can hit a floater there. You can take a shorter mid-range jumper where he needs to be more assertive there. Because I think, like, we all know that he's not the rim-rolling hard, going to get foul call, like, fouls drawn guy. Um, And what you do have, though, is someone who has, again, great touch in the short mid range, and I think just figuring out what's a like a rhythm shot for him is important. And I bring up the Chris Paul thing too because like if he's not running tons of pick and roll with Chris Paul, he's also not even going to be a target in like roll situations and like especially the short short shots where he gets those little floaters up. So it's kind of they're kind of entwined where. Like he he needs a guard in a lot of cases can to I, take in rhythm shots. Can I interrupt you to present data that I yeah. should have looked at? Yeah. Last eight games, so that's the three KD games and then the five without him so far. Less than five feet, 
He is 25 of 29, 86%. So those are like the gimmies, the, the yeah. pick and roll stuff. Five to nine feet. And again, after this, to be clear, I'm going to read you his season number so you can understand how much of a drop-off this is. Five to nine feet, he's 11 of 26. That is 42%. 10 to 14 feet, he is 8 of 20 for 40%. And then 15 to 19 feet, those are mid-range jumpers we're talking about. 10 of 18, 56%. So the jumpers are going in, but once he gets to floater territory, where the short roll finishes typically are... He's been pretty good, and to be clear, from 5 to 9 feet, he's at 49% for the year, so that's a 7% drop-off. 10 to 14 feet, he's been 43%, which is down a bit, which are like the shorter jumpers where it mixes between a jumper and a touch shot. Yeah. Uh, and then on 15 to 19 feet this year, he's been 49%, which is fantastic. So there's just a bit of a drop-off there happening, and again, this year, less than 5 feet away, he's shooting 79% this year, and he's just not going to get those shots anymore right now, just with the type of player that he is, unfortunately. Yeah, so I think to answer my own question to you earlier, like that's why you saw the Chris Paul campaign lineup last night. I think I think they probably like got to experiment with that more. Um, I don't know if you saw or if he talked about a campaign mentioned on the post game show. Like Monty is telling him to kind of slow down more or more often. Um, obviously, he's speeds up the tempo, but he needs to have a little more pace to his game. Talked about more CP3 type stuff, which is interesting because if you're needing to do CP3 type stuff and you happen to be sharing the floor with that guy, um, that means they're very aware. So I guess, do you think, like, what do you think they even experiment for the next, what are we at, two weeks left before Kevin? Well, this is where we can get into the Orlando game, right? Because Josh Okoge shot two of ten from three last night, but he was really good. He yeah. was attacking off the dribble, and he was finding those driving lanes again downhill. more so when Only he was playing with Landale. But he caught it, and the closeout came over. And the thing about Josh is he's such an explosive athlete that unless you get a really hardcore closeout on you where that guy is ready to contest and he's also ready to slide his feet, which you're going to get from 5% of the defenders in the league, quite honestly, to him. Because, again, remember he's the guy that people are hiding someone on typically, right? So he's going to be playing as a minus defender. He's got to be ready to drive to the rim and finish, and that's what he did. He he did it really well last night. Torrey Craig played one of his best games of the year last year, or last, uh, yesterday night. I don't think necessarily offensively it was, it was fine or whatever, but tone-setting defense was there. And so when he's playing tone-setting defense and we got a Kogi on the floor with him, that's the type of defensive contribution you need from those guys. You pointed this out on Twitter Last night, I want to say, or during the Bucks game, it's been a really great couple of games for Ish Wainwright. I think yeah. that he's been really good. The Suns fans were really on him asking for TJ Warren about three weeks ago, and ever since then, he's been pretty darn good. I mean, you don't get many guys who are seven inches shorter than Giannis that can hang with him in the post for a couple of bumps before the double comes, and that's what he was doing. He was doing it with Paolo for a possession or two, I believe, as well. He can really mix and match in there pretty well with matchups that he was doing, and then offensively he's doing the the ish the the, the drive and dish with <laughs> with the I capitalized for ish. Got it. Got it. He's doing that more. It's starting to become a certified thing now because we watched someone like take a floater, right? Like Jay Crowder taking floaters two years ago. Like, oh, good flat floater by Jay Crowder there. And then 15 games in, you're like, yeah, that's a thing. Like that's something that he does. And Ish's drives now are starting to become a thing. I think it was it was Sam or Mike from the timeline who tweeted, Ish is driving more lately, and the results yeah. have been pretty good. And they have been pretty good. And 
Terrence Ross had a better defensive night last night. Uh, it was not going well at all in those three games in four days. He said that he just doesn't really switch that much. They didn't really switch that much in Orlando. And Monty, I told him that part of the question, and then he st- he's chuckled to himself because they did watch Orlando say, like, yeah, they don't really switch that much. And so it's been an adjustment for him to figure that kind of thing out. There was a really bad Warriors one that didn't necessarily go viral, but a lot of people were like, yeah, this guy's unplayable. You can't have him out there. And it's just like, well, you got to see in these 15 games because or, or 12, 13, whatever they have left because the offensive yeah. injection that this team will need at some point because there is going to be a, a moment in game four, game five, it's a 2-2 series and the offense is kind of sputtered for a bit and campaign comes in and Terrence Ross comes in and one of those two guys is going to need to add some life and we just saw it, albeit on a Thursday night in March against the Orlando Magic at home. <laughs> Different example, but campaign played really well last night, and he played really well a couple games ago. Not a couple games ago, uh, against Milwaukee as well. And it was the first time he had really started to look like himself again since he came back from a two-month break, essentially, for the injury. So all of those names that I mentioned, they've got enough balance there. Like, Damian Lee's been good in his shorter spot minutes. Jock Landale is playing his best basketball this season now, and he has been for the past six weeks now. We've talked about him a bit already in the past Add all that up, and like that's enough as long as your top guys perform well. So I think if Chris and DeAndre adjust a little bit better in this next week or two, and guess what? They probably are going to. I feel confident in that. And Devin Booker doesn't play 43 minutes yeah. on the second game of a back-to-back, which was, I don't want to say like risking the season. I don't want to be the dramatic guy, and it wasn't to that degree. But, man, there's 15 games left, and if it's just... He was laboring a bit at the end of the Magic game, and then they, uh, Monty mentioned after the game again, saying, like, I played him way too many minutes. You can't um, say that saying, after everything. And saying he has general soreness on Wednesday, and then we see that soreness kind of pop up again on Thursday. Uh, man, uh, they're, they're just going to need to – that was the big – if I had any fear from the KD point, which I didn't for this team, it just would have been relying on Booker too much. And then, of course, the, the Milwaukee game, which – Hot take, I was fine with it. The 43 minutes, he's not going to come out. That's the role of the coach, I understand, but it's the Bucks. Like He really, really wanted to win that game. He was playing really, really well. You got to first There's, half against the Magic, though, after that. You got to like hedge a little, and take he a, can't, cut a few and minutes. And he got a seven-minute break in the second quarter, so he did yeah. do that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. But we've been talking about that since like Mikel at the start of the year, where yeah. he was just playing 43 and 42. And Oops, we were like, I did it again. Oh. Yeah, I mean... To go back to your point, which, again, thank you for reminding me of my own tweets that I forgot about that are only two days old. Um, Too much Bad Bunny research going on. Oh, yeah. I, thought, I was going to actually really not mention that. that. I was not going to mention that. I shouldn't that. have. Let's move on. I, I I thought the Bucks game was a win from like a learning standpoint. Um, campaign, Landale, like confidence boosters, but like you mentioned it, those wings... Like, what other team, I'm probably wrong, but I don't know if there's a team that has three guys who, in theory, can stay in front of Giannis and, like, at least make him work a little to move them out of the way. And, like, D.A., Torrey, Ish Wainwright, and I guess Akogi, like, too. Like, they have a really good matchup against that team, in theory, again. With KD again, and I'm assuming the Bucks have a little bit more Chris Middleton down the line. But, yeah, I mean, I thought that was really positive. And 
Wainwright just adding a little more. If he can shoot and take a couple dribbles, he's fine. Like you don't need more from him. He's a good enough athlete. That that is going to cause teams to have problems. Um, at least regarding like the the le- the least effective offensive player who's on the floor. But still, it's it's something. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm. Uh, I think we're just waiting for KD to come back at this point because, again, I, I don't see anything about the standings that worries me. I think it's more important to make sure Booker doesn't play 40 minutes than to worry about standings at this point. Um, unless you're going to lose five straight after this, like then I, I just don't see the point in pressing at this point in the season. Do you? I don't know. I don't care about I don't care if they're the sixth seed. We'll get to the Western Conference standings update desk here in in just a minute. Schedule coming up. I'm going to make a proclamation, Mr. Zinnerman. Big five games for DeAndre Aiden. Big four in particular. OKC on Sunday. They don't have size. He he needs to be a factor in that game, to say the least. Los Angeles Lakers on Wednesday. That's on the road as well. On ESPN, facing Anthony Davis. You know what would suck? Is guarding... DeMontis Sabonis and Joel Embiid on back-to-back nights like he's going to have to do on Friday and Saturday. At Sacramento, they come home, they play the Sixers on Saturday. Those are just four direct games where if I had to say who is the biggest factor in all four of these games, my answer would be DeAndre, especially with LA, I I presume, still missing LeBron James for that game. And then they go to Utah on Monday, I think we saw earlier in the year, uh, they had that tough loss at Utah that they nearly won at the end. That's a tough place to play. And then they've got Minnesota and Denver after that at home. So they've got this four-game stretch here that I think is very winnable, but I also think that it comes down to DeAndre specifically and how he handles those matchups now. Handling arguably, not arguably, I think it's Jokic, Embiid, and Sabonis have been the best three bigs in the year this year, right? And asking him to handle two of those on back-to-back nights when you're in Sacramento one night in Phoenix the next night. Tough ask, of course, but that is sort of what's coming here uh, on the schedule. Western Conference standings update desk. The Denver Nuggets won. Good for them. Looks like they were going through a bit of, oh, we're ready for the playoffs now. We still have to wait another month thing that happens when teams run away with the Michael Malone has to have a passionate speech, yeah. Maybe they got through to them. We'll see. Kings, guess what? They keep winning. Memphis Grizzlies, we now know Ja Morant could potentially return. It seems like some point next week. Uh, they did pretty fine without him. Unsurprising. They kind of kept afloat. We sort of expected that, but also had to not rule out the possibility of this kind of potentially leading to some type of tailspin towards the end of the regular season just because of how much has gone on for them over the course of the year and the Steven Adams injury and the Brandon Clark injury. But nope, they just keep rolling just like they normally do uh, in the regular season at least. Here's a dangerous thing happening, Kevin. Dangerous little thing happening. So the Suns are 38-32. and The Los Angeles Clippers, who I still completely do not take seriously, I don't care if they win 14 straight to close out the year, (laughs) the way they've been playing defense this year, I just... Kawhi Leonard, I take seriously. I take Paul George very seriously. But after that, as the team, I don't know. These are their 12 games left in the year. They play two against Memphis and one against Phoenix. Okay? After that, they've got the Magic, the Blazers twice, the Bulls, the Pelicans twice, the Thunder twice, and the Lakers. Oh. 
They've got a very easy schedule <laughs> remaining. And, of course, the Suns do not. They've got the Sixers, Denver twice, Sacramento, the Clippers, Minnesota, two against OKC, two against LA, one against Utah, one against San Antonio. There's really only one kind of freebie in there for Phoenix, which I would say is San Antonio. And then they've got half their games are pretty high tier in terms of the teams across the league that you're looking at. So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on how the Clippers are doing specifically. The tiebreaker there is pretty much wrapped up. I looked at this the other night. Phoenix is ahead 2-1 in the head-to-head, but even if they drop that, all they need to do is win one more game against a conference opponent, and I believe that they have four or eight le- or six left, six left uh, to pretty much clinch that. And the Clippers would need to win both of their games against conference points. Could come down to last game of the year, perhaps. They play against each other on the last game of the regular season. The Warriors are two back in the loss column. It looked like they were making a bit of a surge, but I don't think it's realistic to expect them to make much of a surge here without Andrew Wiggins, who, especially like 30 games into the year, looked like far and away their second best player. And we all know what happened in the playoffs last year. He's been dealing with a personal situation for about a month now. And there is zero clarity on that situation in terms of a potential return date, when he could come back. They've been awful on the road still. They're 7-27. and uh, I believe tonight is the second game of their five-game road trip. They just lost to the Clippers. They do play Atlanta tonight, and then they play Memphis tomorrow night. Houston on Monday, get right game. Dallas on Wednesday, and that might be when Luka and Kyrie start to come back. And then at home, Philly, Minnesota. So if you're looking at pockets right now to keep an eye on, like the next seven games, six games for Golden State, they've got the four games left on the road trip, then come back home to uh, Philly and Minnesota. And then New Orleans, who is going to be desperate, fighting for their lives. So... That will be something to monitor elsewhere. Not really anything happening, Kevin. We're just seeing 500 basketball being played by the Timberwolves, Mavericks, Lakers, Thunder, and Jazz. The Pelicans and Blazers are heading south a little bit. But in terms of a team making a climb, it's been the Clippers who have won four straight. Kind of Golden State, but it doesn't look like, to me at least, do you think that Minnesota, Dallas, Lakers, Thunder, do they have enough juice to make a jump to get in the mix here in this 4-5-6 dance? How far back are the Lakers, and when is LeBron coming back? Lakers are four back in the loss column of the Suns right now, and I believe LeBron's timeline is somewhere around, it would be end of next week, start of that following week. I think somewhere around there. I might be mistaken, but that's somewhere around there. Cat's coming back from Minnesota. You want to say Minnesota? Sometime this season, Kevin, he's coming back. There's 12 games left in the season, but sometime this season he's coming back. I don't think that necessarily solves things for them. It doesn't, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you never figured out that weird, like, getting two centers And guess what? Now with thing. five games to go, you get to figure um, it out. I think it's easier to figure out playing with Kevin Durant than it is with no, Carl yeah. Towns and Rudy, Rudy Gobert. Gobert. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the Lakers can make a run. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if Golden State somehow just snapped out of being bad on the road because that makes no sense to me. I don't know. But, like, I'm a math man, as you can tell. If you're that bad over the course of a season, it's probably not just going to magically go to 50-50 again. It's in their heads now, at least. You know when people treat games and say like this in the standing race and be like, they can control their destiny. The Suns can (laughs) kind of control their destiny here because they play the Thunder and they play the Lakers twice. The Thunder 
have a couple more gimme games than other teams. They play the Pistons, Hornets, Blazers, Pacers, Jazz, and Lakers in terms of teams on the bottom half of the standings compared to the top. Then they have two against Phoenix, one against Memphis, two against Clippers, and one against Golden State. Kind of a similar-ish look for the Lakers a bit, but yeah, the Suns can just not only be teams that they're better than, which is what is the case with the Lakers and the Thunder especially, but they can also hedge themselves a bit in the standings there in case any of those teams want to jump and I will say they'll play OKC and LA here in their first two and and LA here in these first two games but then the two of those should be when that's the start of April that should be when Kevin Durant is back so if they're looking at some sort of thing here where OKC Lakers Clippers are on their tail they'll have KD back we assume according to the three week of reevaluation period which might turn into four or it might turn into two. I I don't know. I don't know at this point. I just got to trust what I think people tell me. I said this in our work chat. I think they've rebranded load management. Whenever someone gets a little nicked up this year, they've just been like, yep, he's hurt. You're sitting for this long. You don't have a choice. And then you can play as much as you want when you sit out that long. That's how I'm looking at it. Something has changed. I just can't tell. I think it's good. I think it's good. I think so. I'm not exactly sure, to be honest. Do you want to do five minutes catch talk before we go? I actually do want to because I want to get your thoughts on what I just kind of said on the radio. Yeah. For those who are new to the podcast, there's actually quite a few people. We are University of Arizona alums. You and I, if we had to like objectively, not objectively, just say as sports fans who our favorite team is rooting for it is u of a men's basketball you would agree it is for me it's them and then america in like the olympics <laughs> yeah, or the world that's... cup or things like that but i get it i get up for america yeah but yes so we at the end of the podcast sometimes talk about u of a men's basketball team they just got upset by princeton we talked about this three weeks ago on cats talk and i re-listened to it and i picked oh. them not to make it out of the first weekend oh i said if they get a 16-seed Belmont with five seniors. Watch out. Watch out for the smart team. I don't think I said smart specifically, but they, of course, play the Ivy League team that understands math and understands, hey, you guys run one thing on offense. We're just going to take that away and dare you to do something else with your other players who didn't look ready to do anything else all season long. That conversation is here nor there, but what I said on the radio is I pretty much put all the blame on Tommy Lloyd, and I did it in a way where – Wolf, uh, as someone who like doesn't follow U of A on a day to day basis, like I do, was like, "Is Tommy Lloyd in trouble here?" And I was like, oh, "No, he's not in trouble." Yeah. But I'm hyper focused now on how he handles game to game situations now, in game situations when teams are playing a certain way. How do they break this zone? All that kind of stuff because it was crystal clear in that game that the high low was gone, the doubles in the post. Your offense cannot have its heartbeat only around that you need to have other ways to find rhythm in your offense and they just didn't really have it said Henderson had one drive with his left hand where I was like yes said and then he just didn't touch the ball the rest of the game that's coaching it's on the kid to go get the ball sometimes but at this level specifically it's on coaching how much are you with me on this because we disagreed here and there on the Miller era more in terms of who was to blame but uh, I'm solely focused on him I know Tubelis was national player of the year candidate and had a bad game Shot 45%, turned the ball over six times. I don't care about the 20-plus points. I really don't. No. What do you think? I'm very – I think we're on the same page. 
I am not fire Tommy Lloyd because you need to have people you'd want to hire. Yeah, and I never wanted Sean stupid. Miller fired either. But it also, just, yeah. I, I was very critical of him in the game yeah. situationally as a coach, which guess what? There's like four good basketball <clears throat> coaches in college basketball, honestly. The guy who was at St. Peter's, where did he go, Seton Hall? I don't know, man. That guy can coach. Great coach. Oh, that yeah. guy can coach. Oh. Brown Stevens was at Butler, and then he was coaching the Boston Celtics. Like, yeah. it's, like <laughs> it's just like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so here's my thing. We're at the point where you have one year. They went on a run to the Sweet 16. I thought that team was better because they, yeah, had three NBA players, and now they lose those players. They play the same style. They don't have one of them able to bail you out. My whole thing is they have to develop players and i don't know how well he develops guards specifically because he clearly knows how to develop bigs but i also don't know if the guards that he's developing are just like not very good we'll see with kylan yes if he can get kylan to score at the rim because kerr should be scoring at the rim by now and he's not did you know that i didn't even know this till i read a transcript kylan boswell he's like a 17 year old freshman who reclassified to come to school early he did that because he broke his foot they wanted the medical, yeah. And they wanted to do rehab in, like, a college environment and all that stuff. Smart parenting there. And it like, sounded like his parents were involved in the decision. That's yeah. smart parenting. And Tommy basically was like, hey, I'm not even going to coach you until December 1st, and then you will check back in. So just get healthy by December 1st. And then December 1st, I think I might be botching the story. He was basically like, hey, I'm going to start coaching you now. And like I By thought, February, that was cool. it was like I need you to be one of the best players on the team. Yeah, that's the standard I'm going to hold you to. And he got you know what would have helped, but yeah. if he started, yeah, that's true. Played more minutes, got more experience. Anyway, so my whole thing is, I think there's evidence that he can coach and develop. Some of the guys, they're gonna, you know, they're older, they're gonna be on their way out or whatever. But like him and Adama Ball, who again was, I thought. Like, French national team, under 17, whatever, or under 20, I guess. Yeah. Like, we, we need a little more time to see, but there are narratives developing. I think that's the stage we're in. We're yeah. fa- starting to see the the flaws. You or can't just look at Benedict Mather and make an year-to-year jump and give Lloyd all of the credit. It's like when the OCs from the Super Bowl winning team always get hired elsewhere. Yeah. And oh. it's like when or the, the DCs. Who couldn't get a stop in the second half of the Super Bowl, and now he coaches my team that can't sign anyone because they can't feed people properly. Is that all you can happening? eat. All you can eat. All right. Is that all? Matherin was a one in it was like a one in a million kind of situation. He I'm also has like the, the I'm going to get better and be better than everyone. He's like a crazy. Some man. would say that dog. Kevin that Zerman. dog in them, yeah. The type of guy who says LeBron needs to prove to me he's better than me. <laughs> oh, he's, he rules. I can't wait to watch his NBA career. I'm so excited. I'm excited for Dalen to kind of finally get some time too. But I hope the one thing we should note on that is with everything I'm talking about, adjustments, I hope that he gets the chance to coach this similar type of team again. And what I mean by that is I believe Henderson's out of years. I think. Ramey might have another one. The COVID stuff is always weird. There's no... There's no, like, we didn't develop some kind of system where we list people as seniors and it says senior star star, as in, like, two asterisks mean they've used their COVID year or whatever, right? He had like, a red shirt. He had a red shirt. Timmy's going to play four more years at Gonzaga. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. He has a red shirt, a gray shirt, a COVID year, and a transfer year. I don't know. 
There's no transfer. But Kirk Kreisa was a junior this year, I believe, and then so was Tubelis, so was Ballo. So if those three guys stay and then Kylan comes back, obviously, maybe Adama Ball gets in the mix. They do have some recruits coming in like they normally do. I want to see them have the same core team and see if he can actually have like multiple offensive systems at once. Is he just a one-trick pony? I don't I don't know. Was Matherin like kind of the exception was getting a small forward who can assist five assist have five assists per game and have a NBA two guard basically just on your team was that just covering up everything of him being a one trick pony on offense and then not being able to like this team being bad on defense and getting worked by Princeton like that was probably the most inexcusable thing of that entire game I said this on Wolf and Luke if you don't know what I'm talking about and you're still listening to this point that means you're somewhat interested or you're still <laughs> off and now you're turning off you're like what the heck I'm gonna turn on all fantasy everything I think we're safe. or a far better podcast or whatever which understandable just go and type in Princeton, Arizona on YouTube. The NCAA's like 10-minute cut, extended highlights will come up, and then just fast-forward to the start of the second half and watch every single basket Princeton scored like I did this morning, and you are just going to see dribble drive after dribble drive after dribble drive right into Henderson, Ramey, Creasa, Larson, whoever, but then Ballo and Tubelis just like not coming over to help. And it's like, hey, you have a really big team. You know where really big, having really big team helps? It's like sure scoring, but protecting the rim. And they just, the team that shot four of 26, they didn't help off shooters. I didn't like how the guards didn't take shots at all. They weren't ready, though. Like, he didn't make them ready. They don't have that dog in them. See, I think it's 95-5, and you're saying it's like 70-30. Like, players, coaches. I'm saying it's coach 95-5. You think it's more like 70-30, 60-40, 80-20? Like... I think there's something that the Bobby Hurley teams when he like recruits these guys who are just like, oh, this isn't going well for us. I'm just going to take care of it. I appreciate a little bit of that at some point. Ramey did a little bit of that. I need something. Ramey had the six weeks where it, he and Henderson had six weeks where I was like, hey, maybe we'll win the tournament because they, they showed a little bit of something. But I feel bad, too, because they all I said this on the air. All the kids played really hard. I loved the way Henderson and Ramey played. It was just like they didn't give the team exactly what they needed, but that's not the type of players that they were that's anyway. That's true. That's true. Like they were not the right players to come here. Or not the right mix. You can have one of them. You can't have all three of them doing the Isn't same thing. Isn't this like the recruiting savant from Gonzaga and he couldn't identify the right transfers we needed? He couldn't have gotten one playmaker off the dribble? Yeah, that's a problem. It's better Find than, him. We'll see. That's why we're going to see. It's better than pew, pew, pew explosives. All right, everyone. We'll be back next week to talk about Phoenix Suns basketball. And no more cats talk. Until next year. We'll see you then.